Kabbalah and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. When the convert came to Hill and says, teach me the Torah, give me the entire Torah, with a Madison Avenue sign, soundbite, and Shammai threw him down the stairs, Hill says, yeah, I'll, no problem. Don't do unto others what you don't want to do to yourself, and the rest is commentary. And the question now the Tamil Tzedek asked is, this would be the source for all the mitzvot between man and man, which explains Rabbi Kiva's statement, love your fellow Jew like yourself is a general ruling in the Torah, is a general heading in the Torah. But what's the connection between don't do unto others what you don't want to do to yourself with the entire Torah, including the mitzvot between man and God? What does that have to do with putting on film? Why is that? The rest is commentary. Why is putting on film a commentary and don't do unto others what you don't want to be done to yourself? What did Hillel mean? What's Hillel referring to? Don't do unto others what you don't like to be done to yourself. What's the thing, the one thing that a person hates the most? That bothers us the most? Criticism. Criticism. A person can't hear criticism. You just can't hear it. Although we know better than anyone else that the criticism is, is earned, is well earned. And because we know ourselves better than anyone. They think it's bad. They don't know how bad it is. It's much worse than they could even imagine. And yet we can't accept criticism. Can't. We can't hear it. We just have a blind spot. We shut down. We just, we just don't hear it. We can't hear it. Why? What's so, what's so terrible about criticism? Why can't we hear criticism when we know objectively that it's so true? Why are we in denial? What's painfully obvious to everyone around you, we're the last ones to know. Our capacity for self-denial is infinite. (laughs) And this is not because we're foolish or because we're not brilliant or because we're not honest or we don't have other qualities. That's just human nature. You want to know what unconditional love is? It's a love of ourselves. And it works at many levels. Firstly, we're perfect. We don't see any faults in ourselves. We're the last one in the world to know of our fault. Everyone around us knows that it's so painfully obvious. We're the last one in the world to acknowledge that there is a problem. The light is blinking red and the, the whole place is sinking already. Yeah, no problem. Calm, nothing, no problem. We're the last ones when the Titanic is about to sink. Then we acknowledge, oh, you know, maybe there's a problem. So that's number one, the human capacity of self-delusion. Scary, but that's number one. Number two, even if we acknowledge the problem, God forbid we should take the blame for it. No, no, no. It's not my fault. It's your fault. It's everyone's fault who's pointing out the problem. It's my mother's fault. It's society's fault. It's everyone in the world's fault except my own. But even if the problem is so glaring and it's so obviously my fault that I can't even blame anyone, So what? I still love myself. I still look like a baby at night. <laughs> I don't lose any sleep. <laughs> I'm not planning to change. Not today, not tomorrow, not anytime soon. I, I, I'm very comfortable in my own skin. I'm very comfortable with myself. I still love myself unconditionally. Knowing my fault, knowing I have no one to blame, it's totally my problem, totally responsible. I still love myself unconditionally. That's called unconditional love. The love for ourselves is unconditional love. Not we love ourselves because we behave properly or we love ourselves because of our qualities or because of our strengths. 
We just love ourselves, period. Every human being loves themselves unconditionally. In spite of what we know. In spite of everything. It doesn't bother us. Yes, we know our fault. We know our fault better than anyone. No one knows. No one even knows half of the story. <laughs> we know the full story. <laughs> Not because there's something wrong with a person. It's just human nature. You can't be honest with yourself. You can't be objective with yourself. And no one changes because of criticism. People hear it and they just turn out and tune out, tune out and turn off and, and nothing moves and nothing changes. But why not? Why can't we hear criticism? When someone points it out to us, we know that it's true. We know better than anyone how, how true it is. Why can't we hear it? And the answer is, it's not the criticism that we can't hear. It's what's implied with the criticism. The person is not saying that something, you did something wrong. But the message that we're hearing is, you are wrong. Something wrong with you. You are wrong. And that we can't hear. As a matter of fact, if criticism is given to us by our best friend, who we know loves us unconditionally, we actually welcome it. It's called honest feedback. It's the most precious thing on earth. It's the most precious thing on earth. Because a person's ego will only distort for yourself when it comes to another person our egos are brutally honest the customers are brutally honest with they have no interest in lying to the if they're not interested the product is no good they march with their feet they're out in a second the blink of an eye they're out they're not interested no excuses and no stories and no baba mice they're not interested the mark as false as a world as we live in this world is the most brutally honest place in the universe because people are brutally honest with each other not with themselves, of course not. <laughs> but with others, brutally honest. And when people tell you, they tell you like it is. And they're right. They're not, they're not, they have no interest in lying. They tell exactly as they see it. Honestly and objectively. So the most precious thing that a person could have in life, and the person must have, the Mishnah says, you have to have a seilukharab. You have to have honest, objective feedback. Uncolored by any, any distortion. Just seeing it as is, as the emiss is, as the truth is. Brutal, brutal honesty. A person actually welcomes that. A person could have honest feedback. That's the most precious thing in life. That's the most valuable thing in life. Companies will pay millions of dollars just to, to get honest feedback. Because which company is interested in reading their own press releases <laughs> and, and start believing their own, own propaganda? I mean, that, that's, that, that's, that company is doomed. It's over. It's so precious to get back honest feedback, brutally honest feedback. You're not interested, if you want to stay in business, you're not interested in, in just patting yourself on the back and deluding yourself and shutting your ears and closing your eyes and pretending everything is wonderful when, when, the, when, the, when the ship is sinking. You want honest feedback. That's the most precious thing. So if someone gives it us honest feedback, we value it. If it's coming from a loving place, from a good place. Because it's not a rejection of the person. It's not a rejection of me. It's, it's a sharp rebuke. It's a rebuke of the behavior. And that, that we have no problem with. It's like the rebuke of a parent. When a parent rebukes a child. That's the most loving thing a parent can do to a child. Because it's more painful for the parent to rebuke the child than it is for the child to receive the rebuke. The parent loves the child to death. And it's painful. When a parent has to discipline a child, it's more painful for the parent than it is for the child. Otherwise, the parent is an abuser. We're not talking about an abuser. We're talking about a normal parent. The parent loves the child. But this is the ultimate act of love because the parent loves the child unconditionally. And because the parent cares about the child, so the tr- parent is ready to inconvenience himself, to hurt himself for the sake of the child. 
And the child sees that. What's painful is not the slap or the hit or the, the so what's painful is they see the pain in the parent's eyes, that the parent is so pained that they had to discipline their own child. But that's the most loving thing. Because the message that the parent is giving to the child is that I care about you. And I care enough that I'm going to inconvenience myself and do something that's painful for me. I don't enjoy it because I know it's best for you. The rebuke that's based on love, we can receive it. On the contrary, it strengthens us. It's the most precious, most valuable thing, the rarest commodity on earth. More precious than diamonds, more precious than anything that exists in this world. We have no problem with such rebuke. The problem is with rejection. When rebuke becomes rejection, people stinging and biting and rejecting and harsh and, 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 and dismissive. And it's not affectionate, it's not loving or kind, it's just evil, it's just negative. And that we can't accept. Because we know deep down, and it's coming from a good place, deep down we know there's more to us than meets the eye. Yes, we're not behaving properly. But there's more to us than meets the eye. What meets the eye is just the surface. But there's a depth to us. There's an infinite depth to us. There's an undefined depth to us. There's a godly, godly spark to us. And you can't just dismiss a person, label, pigeonhole them and dismiss them. Oh, I, get, I figured you out, I got you. That's, that's so superficial. There's so much more to each and every one of us. How can you just dismiss someone like that? Just because I did something terrible, that means it's all over. It means you, you, you caught my essence and you dismissed me. That's so superficial, that's so skin deep. So we reject it, correctly so. We reject criticism just for the sake of criticism, or harshness, or biting, or, because that, that's not effective. That's not helpful. doesn't do anything. doesn't help anyone. And we dismiss it. And that's what Hillel is saying. Hillel is saying, don't do unto others what you don't want to be done to yourself. Just like the thing you hate most in the world is criticism. Why? Because you love yourself unconditionally and you know that there's a part within you that's undefined, that's much deeper. The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. It's much deeper than this individual behavior and that individual behavior. There's an inner depth, an undefined depth to each and every one of us and you can't just pigeonhole and label and dismiss. So Hillel is saying, don't do unto others. Treat others the same way. And therefore, overlook their, their faults. Just like you overlook your own faults because you love yourself unconditionally. When you should love your fellow Jew like yourself to such an extent that you don't see any criticism. And the Rebbe used to always refer to it as loving your fellow Jew like yourself, Aves Yisrael, and then there's a deeper level. It's called Achtus Yisrael, the unity of all Jews. Not loving your fellow Jew like yourself, but that all Jews are one. What's the difference in loving your fellow Jew like yourself and that all Jews are one? Loving your fellow Jew like yourself means that I am perfect. But, in addition to my own perfection, like icing on the cake, I also have friendships, and I also respect other people, and I also treat others respectfully, just like I like to be treated. But I am a whole person, without the other person. Jewish unity, Achtes Yisrael, means that we are one and inseparable. Meaning, that I am a half without the other Jew. What's a half? Slice a person down the middle, what do you have? You have half? You have nothing. <laughs> half means I'm nothing without the other. And that's why the Jewish tradition of marriage, Jewish tradition of marriage is a marriage is two halves. It's not that I am a whole person and the other person is like icing on the cake and it's, it's, it's a nice addition, a compliment to my life, a nice addition to my life, a nice trophy something to 
a prop. Marriage is based on the understanding of two half souls. I am half without the other person. What's half? Half means I'm nothing without the other person. The other person makes me complete. I am not a whole person without the other person. It's not that I'm totally whole and dependent. I don't need the other person. The other person is a nice addition to my life, brings some things to my life which are nice, pleasant. It's much deeper than that. That's Avis Yisrael. That's love. But that's not Achtas Yisrael. Achtas Yisrael means it's two half souls. That I am half. I am nothing without the other person. The other person makes me whole. And the ability to be a half is something that only exists in this world. In heaven. While marriages are made in heaven, there are no marriages in heaven. Because angels are whole. Angels can never get married. Because angels are perfect. When you're perfect, you can't get married. It's impossible. There's nothing the other person could add to you. When someone is perfect, I have no room for the other person. Where, where am I going to find time for the other person? Where am I going to find a room? I don't know room. Maybe I'll fit it into my calendar. Maybe I'll find a time that's not day and not night. And maybe I'll, if I have an extra minute, an extra ounce of energy, maybe I'll squeeze someone else into my life. Uh, of course, that never happens. Never will happen. That's not marriage. Marriage is when you realize I'm nothing without the other person. I'm a half. The ability to become a half this is a godly ability. This is an ability that only exists in this world. And that's why the soul comes down to this world. To realize that you're a half. It's the ultimate. And that's why Moshe was so astounded. He was so taken back. He says, half a coin is going to be an atonement for the soul? Where's a coin found? A coin is buried in the ground. In the ground and earth and deep down in the ground. The depth of the ground. And there you find the, the silver. So Moshe is saying, out of earthiness, this world which is so earthy and crusty and materialistic, so false, egotistical, this world, and not only the depth of physicality, the depth of earthiness, this is where I'm going to find such a level of unity which you can't find in heaven. Such a godly revelation of unity which you can't find in heaven. Only in this world, which is why only in this world do we have the ability to create to become partners with Hashem, equal partners with Hashem in creation, to participate in the infinite. The angels don't know what the infinite looks like. Here in this world, in the physical world, husband and wife come together physically, they have the ability to participate in the infinite. Moshe was, was, was totally stunned, taken aback, that there could be such a level of revelation, such a level of unity, such a depth, such a, a bit, such something so noble, so beautiful to be found in the depth of the earth. Out of this crusty physical existence, we're going to find something that the angels and the soul, disembodied souls, can never even dream of. Moshe was stunned and taken aback. That's the beauty of the half a coin. That's the beauty of marriage. And that's the beauty of Avis Yisrael. That's what Avis Yisrael is all about. When a Jew realizes that I am half without the other Jew. Half means I am nothing without the other. It's not that I am a perfect person. The other Jew is a nice compliment, a nice addition. The other Jew, without the other Jew, I have nothing. As the Jerusalem Talmud gives the analogy, it says in the Torah, you're not allowed to take revenge, you're not allowed to even bear a grudge. Not only aren't you allowed to repay your friend's unkindness, but even if you don't, even if you repay his unkindness with kindness, you're not allowed to bear a grudge. Talmud says, how is that possible? What do you mean? We're human. What do you mean? Don't bear a grudge. The guy acted, insulted me, acted horribly when I needed to borrow that sugar from him. My neighbor refused to give it to me. 
and now he's asking me, he's knocking on my door, and I, sh- I should lend him the sugar. I, okay, I'll do it, but I shouldn't bear a grudge. Torah says, don't bear a grudge. Talmud gives a beautiful analogy. Says, imagine your left hand did, did something, was involved in some mischief. So what's the right hand going to do? The right hand is going to slap the left hand. <laughs> Who are you slapping? He's slapping yourself. You're hurting yourself. One Jew, the right hand, the left hand, it's all the same. We're one. We're half. Half means I am nothing without the other person. It's me. If I mistreat another Jew, I'm mistreating myself. It's not that I'm mistreating another human being. I'm not paying respect and I'm not showing the proper respect and I'm not showing the proper love or respect. If I mistreat them, I mistreat myself. If I insult another Jew, I'm insulting myself. <coughs> it's not you versus me, me versus you. It's one, inseparable. How can I mistreat myself? It's ridiculous. Would I slap myself in the face? Would I insult myself? That's exactly what you're doing when you insult another Jew. You're insulting yourself. You're slapping yourself. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu, that's why the half a coin was the atonement for the sin of the golden calf. Because Moshe Rabbeinu turned to Hashem and said, what did Hashem tell Moshe? Let me erase the Jewish people. Let me press the delete button and start all over again. And we'll build the Jewish people with you. What does Moshe tell Hashem? What are you telling? You're going to wipe them out. You wipe them out, you wipe me out. (laughs) What's the difference? We're inseparable. It's like like you're slicing down the middle. Okay, I'm going to slice you down the middle. I'll cut off half of you and, and you'll still survive. And that's what Hashem wanted to hear. Hashem wanted to hear that. Moshe was the first one to respond like that. Hashem says, in your merit, I'm going to forgive this sin because you get it. You get it. You understand what this is all about. You're the only one who really gets this. We're all one. We're inseparable. I'm going to hurt you and I'm going to save you. It's ridiculous. I'm slicing off the left hand I'm saving the right hand. So it's, it's, what's the difference? You, then you sliced me. It doesn't make any difference. This is what Hillel is saying. Hillel is saying is much deeper than what Rabbi Akiva was saying. Rabbi Akiva was saying, love your fellow Jew like yourself. There's you and there's the other. And you love your fellow Jew. It's an addition to your life to treat them with respect. So this is the general rule in the Torah. This is the general rule for all the mitzvot to man and man. But Hillel is saying something much, much deeper. Hillel is saying the mitzvot of Abbas Yisrael is not just to love your fellow Jew like yourself. It's that you should feel that the other Jew is one with you. is inseparable from you. And when you love the other Jew, you're loving yourself. And therefore, how is that expressed? By not criticizing the other Jew. Just like you hate criticism of yourself. You love yourself unconditionally despite all your faults. You're glaring an obvious false. You still love yourself unconditionally. So too, love your fellow Jew with their faults. You see their faults. You notice their faults. You're not blind. You see exactly. You know it. You're perceptive. You see what's going on. But still you love them. So what? So they have faults. I still love them unconditionally. Because you're one. It's like loving yourself. It's unconditional love. When a Jew reaches that level, that the other Jew becomes inseparable from you, and you become one... This is, you've reached the essence of the entire Torah. Because the way we treat each other is the way Hashem treats us. Hashem is like our shadow. It's like a mirror. The way we treat others is exactly the way Hashem treats us. If we walk around angry and sour-faced, Hashem will show us a sour face. We walk around cheerful and joyful and positive and uplifting and inspiring and energetic. and Hashem, Hashem will also smile to us. Exactly the way we behave. It's exactly the way Hashem treats us. And if, um, if we treat each other, we treat our fellow Jew 
we love them just like we love ourselves to the extent that we don't see any fault in ourselves we love ourselves unconditionally we don't accept any criticism so too we love our fellow Jew we don't view them as something other than us we view them as half of us we are incomplete without the other Jew and they are part of us and we are part of them and they are us and we are them and therefore we rejoice with their joy and we are saddened by their sorrows their pain hurts us as if it's a personal pain as if it happened to us personally and their personal simcha is our personal joy we rejoice, we're happy for them we're genuinely happy for them we're not jealous of their joy, of their success on the country we're genuinely happy for them and if they're in pain, we're genuinely pained by them there's no ego there's no I, it's totally just like we love ourselves unconditionally we love the other Jew unconditionally because we're absolutely one, inseparable when we treat our fellow Jew that way Hashem will treat us the same way that Hashem says, I am half and the Jewish people are half because it's a marriage. Hashem is the groom and we are the bride. It's also a half a soul and a half a soul. Hashem says, I am nothing without the Jew. And therefore, Hashem will not see our fault. Hashem will look at us and will have a blind spot. Faults? What faults? When faults? Of course, Hashem sees our faults, knows our faults. And yet, it doesn't bother him. He loves us nevertheless. He'll look at our faults and say, I don't care. Bless them. Help them. Give them whatever they want. I don't care. I don't, it doesn't bother me. Not that Hashem doesn't know the faults. Hashem knows it, but it's totally covered up doesn't bother him, doesn't get excited about it. When we get excited about another Jew's fault, Hashem gets excited about our fault. And there are consequences. When Hashem gets excited about our faults, bad things happen. When we don't get excited about another Jew's faults, and we rejoice with their joys and we feel their pain, then Hashem doesn't get excited about our faults. And then wonderful things happen, blessings happen. And then we have a marriage. So the way we treat each other is the way Hashem treats us. It's like the, uh, the beautiful story of Rabbi Zusha of Anapala. Um, Rabbi Zusha of Anapala was very poor. And there was a businessman in this town who saw Rabbi Zusha where he davens in synagogue, where he learns Torah. And before he, before he, once before he did a, a business deal, he decided to give him a little money. He gave him a little money and he had an unbelievable success that day in his business deal unusual. So he wisely attributed his success to the fact that he's supporting such a holy rabbi. Next time, every time before he did a business deal, he gave him money and he, the, the gifts became more generous. The more generous he was, the more money he gave him, the more successful he was. And it was obvious that... Anyway, this was going on for a few months. It comes Rosh Hashanah, he figures to himself, figures to himself Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Kippur, Sukkot, so many expenses. I'm going to give such a gift. Rabbi Zushi is going to have the best Rosh Hashanah he ever had in his life. He'll be able to take care of his family. He won't have to worry. He can sit and study Torah and serve Hashem with peace of mind. So he comes into shul with a big gift. Rabbi Zusha is not there. He says, what happened? Where's Rabbi Zusha? Oh, Rabbi Zusha, every Rosh Hashanah he goes to visit the Rebbe. So, the Rebbe? I thought Rabbi Zusha was the Rebbe. I mean, no, he's not the big Rebbe. The Maggid of Mizrich, Rabbi Dov Ber. He's a student of Rabbi Dov Ber. He says, I'm supporting the small-time rabbi. He says, if I am so successful by supporting a small-time rabbi, imagine if I'm going to start supporting a big rabbi. Forget about it, my successful. So he takes the money that he was going to give to Rabbi Zusha and his family and comes to the Maggid, adds more money, puts down the money to the table, says, Rebbe, you have a new supporter. From that day on, things got from bad to worse. <laughs> everything he touched, <laughs> everything he touched failed, and he just 
or he lost all his money. He's very perplexed. He doesn't understand. He comes to Rabbi and he poured his heart out. He says, please help me understand this. I don't get this. Here I supported you. I was successful. I supported you, your Rebbe, the big Rebbe, and I lost everything I had. So Rabbi looked at him. He says, listen. You saw a Jew sitting in shul, learning, praying, serving Hashem. Innocently, you wanted to help him out. It was an innocent thought. You helped me out. Hashem decided also, you know, let, let's help out this Jew. He doesn't really deserve it, but you know, he's being nice, he's being kind, he's being generous. Let's, let, let's, let's give him blessings. Let him be successful. All of a sudden, he became a wise guy starting to measure. Small Rebbe, a big Rebbe, making calculations. Okay. So in heaven, they took a little closer look at you too. They put you under, under the, under the tel- microscope. They said, this guy, this miserable creature, he's not worth, he's not worth, uh, he's not worth uh, this, this success. The way we treat others is the way Hashem treats us. Avis Yisrael doesn't mean loving and being nice to your fellow man and being respectful and being a nice person and having many friends. He's saying something much, much deeper than that that you're nothing without the other person. And therefore, that is the entire Torah. Not like Rabbi Kiva. Rabbi Kiva says, love your fellow Jew like yourself. That's the foundation for all the mitzvot in man and man. Hill is saying, the rest of the Torah, all of the Torah, the entire Torah, including the mitzvot in man and God, putting on tefillah and Shabbos, is a commentary to this mitzvah. Because this is the essence of all mitzvahs. When you're able to reach a level where you realize that you're, you're only a half without the other Jew, and therefore you become one with Hashem, because the way you treat others is the way Hashem treats you. When you become one and you're nothing without Hashem, it's not like we are whole and Hashem is like icing on the cake. When you realize it's a marriage, it's a relationship, and that we are nothing without Hashem. So we're one with Hashem. So it's not like I'm doing the mitzvot. It's like something added to my life. I have my own life and I have a life. And then in addition, I have some Torah, some mitzvot that I sprinkle in for good, you know, for good <laughs> safety, for good... But it, this is my life. Torah is a way of life because I am one with that. I'm half without Hashem. This is my life. I am nothing without Hashem. Hashem is my essence. Hashem is my being. It's my life. It's not like something additional to my life. It's, this is my life. It's my being. It's my essence. And when we treat Hashem that way and we treat each other that way, then Hashem will treat us that way too. He won't see our faults. He won't get agitated about our faults. We know we have them. He won't get excited about our faults. We know we have them. And we could even be maybe in the category, even if we're in the category of a Russia, Hashem still cannot be indifferent to our prayers. will answer our prayer and bless us and shower us with, with uh, physical goodness and, and all levels and health and parnasa and, and family, etc. and everything that we need and the ultimate blessing, of course, which we all need. Desperately, of course, is the coming of Mashiach, which includes all the other blessings. When Mashiach will come, all the other blessings will be included. Everything that we need, whether health or anything that we pray for, will automatically be included and incorporated in that. So this is really the essence of the whole Torah, including tefillin, including Shabbos, all the myths of the man and God. Because it's only when a person, when a person is still egotistical, when you have your own life, you're, you're an ego. And Hashem is like religion, it's a nice thing to add to your life. That's missing the whole point. The whole point of Shabbos and Tefillin and all the mitzvot is to realize there is no ego. Because it's a marriage. Judaism is a marriage, not religion. And in the marriage, you're half, two half souls. You're nothing without the other person. The other person completes you. Kabbalah. 
and the Psychology of the Soul, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky.